You are listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois, a church committed to Christ and His Word. We exist to glorify God through unity, love, and maturity. Good morning again. I invite you to open up a copy of God's Word and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Do you need a Bible, Homer? Do you need a Bible, Homer? Do you want a Bible? Ecclesiastes 6 will be in verses 10 and 12. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Father, open our minds that we can see the reality of the world as full of broken people in rebellion to you. If there is sin in our lives, convict us, give us strength to overcome it. Teach us by your word to look to Christ as our only hope. Give us a thirst to drink from the well of your word, that in all we do we may give glory to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. So when we read these two verses, we see or we should see and take note of the connection to Genesis. The preacher is pointing out again that nothing is new. He said, whatever has come to be has already been named. And this references Genesis 2.19, which says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. You see, this is a a comparison with God because Adam was able to name animals in creation. He is telling us that man will never be bigger than God when when he says he is not able to dispute with the one who is stronger than he, and it is known what man is. All these things is this comparison. And what it points out is that God wanted to be in fellowship with man and partner with us in the joys of creation. It's a partnership he still desires. Only now, the desire is for us to assist him in his purposes to lead the lost to Christ. If you remember last week, I talked about a wandering appetite leading us to sin, and I found it interesting to see this latter section of chapter 6 being so connected to Genesis just before the fall which if you've read the Genesis account of the fall, you will know that it was a wandering appetite that helped bring sin into the world, no pun intended. Now, yes, there were other factors at play, such as the disobedience to God and and deciding to try and become like God. But if you look back a couple of more weeks, you'll remember I said, God made dirt, God made man from dirt, you are dirt. We're not getting off of this topic for some time now, it seems. 
And here in, we have in verse 10, the preacher saying, it is known what man is, and he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Well, what is man? Man is dirt. Better put, he is dust. And this dust in Genesis 2-7 is known in Hebrew as afar. It has a range of meanings, and it's commonly defined as dust, loose earth, soil, rubble, clay, grave, and world of the dead. Now, dust comes from the ground. And the Hebrew word for ground is adama, which also has a range of meanings, commonly defined as earth, arable ground, land owned, and the underworld. Now, I told you that to explain something very interesting that connects these stories together. It brings to mind the link of why the world is in such bad shape, as noted by the author of Ecclesiastes. You see, in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, God pronounces a curse on Adam. He says, it says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. People miss something very interesting here. How was all of mankind cursed because of Adam? Now, if you remember our first week in Ecclesiastes, I said that Adam in Hebrew means man, mankind, and the name Adam. So while, yes, God spoke the curse to the man named Adam, it was also spoken to Adam of all of mankind. It was a curse in perpetuity until the coming Messiah could reconcile the relationship of mankind with God. He says, cursed is the Adama, the ground, because of you, till you return to the Adama, the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are afar dust, and to afar you shall return. And this is the situation we find ourselves in. This is the basics of what we are. We are dust, and everything else is already done. Everything's already named. Everything's already created. There's nothing new. It seems to be nothing but vanity. And then he states that in all of this, he cannot dispute with one stronger than he. His not being able to dispute with one stronger than he is also tied to Genesis. You'll notice in Genesis 3 that Adam does try to dispute with God about what he's done. He tries to shift the blame to Eve. It's essentially a matter of saying something along the lines of, don't be blaming me, she made me do it. And this is the main point. No matter how much you contend with God, you will never be able to plead your case before God in order to convince God that your sin is not your fault. Isaiah 46, 8 through 11 says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed 
and I will do it. He clearly states, my counsel shall stand. Consider Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Or Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This shows our true place, and it shows that we have absolutely no business questioning God or pleading our case to him. Essentially, what right do you as sinners have to try and plead to God to justify your sin? This is what the Bible says. This is why reconciliation via Christ is so important. You will never contend with the Almighty and win. He knows the truth that each and every one of you, myself included, have sinned against him. Now, any of you who have studied the book of Job, you might remember Job arguing with God. He pleads his case with God all throughout that book. But what you might not remember is that he came to regret it. And just like last week where the writer of Ecclesiastes told us that things are so bad, it would have been better if he had never been born, Job says the same thing. In chapter 3, verse 1, Job says, Let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Then there's many chapters of dialogue, and it sums up with God asking Job some very important questions and making some statements. And the most important question I found is chapter 40, verse 2. It says, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job promises to be silent. God challenges him. God provides evidence that he is all-powerful and the creator of everything. In the end, in Job 42, Job recognizes what he did. And this is when he answers God finally and he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job realized it was pointless to dispute with God. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand. We might think we understand, but the reality is we only have a very small concept of who God is and what it means for him to be omniscient or all-knowing. The author of Ecclesiastes pointed out this understanding that we cannot dispute with God. We find these examples in multiple places in Scripture, but I would argue that none are as impactful as Job. And that's because Job and Ecclesiastes are Something of polar opposites. You see, Job had everything, and it was taken from him. The author of Ecclesiastes had everything, but he didn't find joy in it. He was bitter about his raw end of the deal that he felt he got. But if we're comparing, Job got the raw end of the deal, right? Well, that depends on your point of view. If you read the rest of chapter 42 of Job, the argument could be made that Job, per the plans of God prospered more than he could ever have imagined. While, yes, his family and possessions were initially taken from him, he was blessed with more than he originally had. This brings me to point two. 
You need to have a correct perspective of what is best for you according to God, not according to yourselves. You need to trust that God, even if he were to allow you to have everything taken from you as he did Job, is doing nothing wrong. If our concern is truly eternally focused, we will bless the Lord, not argue or curse him. This is why the author of Ecclesiastes says in verse 11, the more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? You see, in all of the pleading and complaining and arguing that Job tried to do with the Lord, it was vanity. It offered him no advantage because God's plans are going to come to fruition regardless of what Job wanted. We remember that from Isaiah. I will accomplish my, all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. The same rings true with each and every one of you. Complaining and arguing with the Lord is no advantage to you. The question becomes why? Why is it of no advantage? Well, we look at verse 12. For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? These are contextually rhetorical questions. But we do have the answer to who knows. And that answer is only God. Consider Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We can't even search God's understanding. We, we can read Scripture our whole life and we will not even get a glimpse of the majesty of God and His knowledge and power. And even when things seem really bad, we have to understand 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was writing here about a thorn in his side. He pleaded with God three times to remove it, but God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul went on and he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is a total reliance on God. Paul's focus was very clear. The writer of Ecclesiastes has been telling us that life is short, that life is vanity, especially when we focus on anything but God. This has been repeated over and over and over since the first chapter. But he wants to know how to have a good life, how to live it, and how to enjoy it. He wants to know what happens next, what comes after this life. This takes us back to the beginning. His point has mentioned, the author at this point has mentioned that God at various intervals in the text, but he's mainly looking at everything from a human perspective. This is what he, it means when he mentions everything under the sun. He's looking at just from the life standpoint of us as humans. He's not having an eternal focus. 
And you see, God transcends everything under the sun. But the writer's concern here is earthly. So if you look at the question, for who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The answer can only be found in one place. People spend their entire lives chasing after answers, trying to discover what happens next. We read self-help books. People, some people go to psychics. They do everything but look in the one place that has all of the answers. Everything that we need to know this side of eternity is right here in this book. I've read the Bible in 90 days, so I know it can be done. I don't recommend that to anyone, but it can be done. They have Bible in the year plans, but we don't do that. We have a hard time doing it daily. Oh, man, I can't, I can't open my Bible today. My favorite TV show's on. It's going to be a 30-minute ordeal. I can't open the Bible. Mm-mm. That's not a good perspective to have. That's not an eternal focus. While we don't know everything that will take place after this life, we do know how to get there. It's faith in Christ. It's knowing that Christ is all that truly matters. He is the only way to heaven. One commentator said, If there is no heaven, then there is no way to escape the vanity of our existence and nothing matters. Our longings will never be satisfied. But if you look to the Bible and read and study and grow your relationship with God, you will discover satisfaction in Him. And if you have not made that decision to surrender your life to Christ, you need to come talk to me. We need to have a serious chat. To summarize, no matter how much you contend with God, you will never be able to plead your case before God in order to convince God that your sin is not your fault. Don't even try it. Believe me, I know from experience, it doesn't work. God just convicts you more and more. You'll go through life being miserable, as the writer of Ecclesiastes seems to be. You will have no lasting joy. You need to repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Only then are we saved and only then can we gain eternal life. Next, you need to have a correct perspective of what is best for you according to God, not according to you. You need to trust that God, even if he were to allow you to have everything taken from you, as he did Job, is doing nothing wrong. In moments of weakness, we cry out, God, why are you putting me through this? Because he loves you. Because he wants to test your faith. He wants to see if you really believe in him or if you view him as a genie in a bottle that you can get a wish every now and then when things get tough. His plans and purposes for your lives are just that. They are his plans and his purposes. You can submit and find joy by partaking in fellowship and being a co-worker with the almighty God, or you can sit and complain and get nowhere. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you're not going anywhere. 
You can only figure all of these things out when you look to the Bible and read and study and grow in your relationship with God. That's when you will discover satisfaction. That's where you'll find peace. Because we know that this is a fleeting moment. It might seem like a long time, but it's really not. Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The question has to be asked, are we those people that Paul wrote about? Or are we just skating through life hoping to fall on the mercy seat and God forgives us when it's too late. This training begins with immersing ourselves in God's word. Eternity doesn't end. This is why there is such a heavy emphasis on scriptural authority and intake. John Knox was a famous theologian from Scotland, and he once said, let no day slip over without some comfort received from the word of God. It doesn't take long to read a verse. Most sermons, which I've covered multiple verses of scripture today, most sermons are 20 to 30 minutes. That's it. It's, it's no different than a television show. And if you think that that television show can make you laugh or make you find joy, trust me, you have not, you've missed some great spots in the Bible because in Acts, there is my favorite verses about the seven sons of Sceva and how they get their butts whipped by a demon and they run away naked. I laugh hysterically every time I read that. They say, they're trying to cast out this demon and the demon says, well, who are you? And he says, by the Jesus that Paul proclaims. He goes, well, Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of, but I don't know who you are. So this demon beats these guys and sends them running away naked. That's a sight to see. Scripture's full of funny things and joy. In Mark, a guy runs out of the garden when they arrest Jesus with no loincloth. It's gone. He's buck naked too. There's funny things. There's joy. There's peace. There's all kinds of things in Scripture. But you've got to open it and read it. Let's pray. This prayer comes partly from Martin Luther, and I thought it was fitting to close our time here together. Lord Jesus, you are our righteousness, and we are your sin. You took on you what was ours, yet set on us what was yours. You became what you were not, that we might become what we are not. Create in us a dependency upon you and your word, that we may be sanctified for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the official podcast of the First Baptist Church of Hamilton, Illinois. If you have questions about today's message, please reach out to us via our website at www.fbcofhamilton.com.